G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What kids are worried about, they're worried about war, they're worried about climate change, they're worried about big things happening in the world, but we often don't talk to them about so they don't know how to think about them or how to respond to them. As parents, we want our kids to have happy, loving lives. As a society, we need kids who are capable of thinking and acting beyond themselves to help others also. Today's guest is Susie Lee, award-winning author who wrote Raising Kids Who Care. Its aim is to help change the world through families, deepening their connections through great conversations. That's Susie Lee with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family, Australia. And our guest is via the internet in her home in New South Wales. Well, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. I've been so looking forward to having this conversation because this is such an important topic that families are really craving to have that connection, to have those great conversations, but they don't know where to start. But before we get into that, we've got to start with you. So what was life growing up like for Susie? Well, it was fun for a while, but then um, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. I was the oldest of three kids. Dad was an alcoholic. It was just before no-fault divorce came in. So divorces were nasty back then. Mm. None of my friends, you know, were from broken families. It was awful. And mum took us over to New Zealand almost overnight. And I remember not getting my lunch order that day at primary school. (laughs) That was one of the biggest things I remember. And so life was tumultuous Mm. for a while there. I could well Um, imagine. Yeah, ultimately it calmed down. And, you know, dad remarried, mum remarried. I had a stable time after that. But, you know, the parents in a divorced family kind of move on and and find love again and get happy. But for kids, you know, Christmas and birthdays, and it remains a difficult thing. Yeah. And then you're also part of a blended family? Yeah. So, you know, both my dad's wife had kids, my mum's husband had kids, so I had stepbrothers and then my dad got married again and had more kids, so then I've got half-brother and half-sister and, you know, all families are complicated. And families are complicated, but they shape you and they probably create some experiences that you probably never have imagined you would go through, but you can utilise those experiences and that's what we're going to be talking about later on about the book. So tell us a little bit about your own journey including your faith journey? So my dad grew up in the Plymouth Exclusive Brethren in New Zealand and he went to university and started questioning some of their stranger practices and they threw him out. Um, So I grew up with not only no relatives on dad's side but also this understanding that religion was kind of this terrible thing that broke up families, right? Mm. Um. Then, you know, I went through my life and I was happy and fine. And after I finished university, I went backpacking in Europe, had a ball. 
until one day I happened to ring home. My family didn't know what country I was in. I hadn't spoken to them for weeks. It was very expensive back then, no internet, all that. And um, I rang the afternoon that my sister was killed by a drunk driver. And oh, goodness. <laughs> so I came home and had run out of money, spent all my money traveling, and so got a job. And two things happened. One was a friend from high school went to his Bible study group and said, oh, these terrible things happened to my friend. Can we pray that, you know, somehow out of this terrible tragedy, she'll come to know the comfort of God? I didn't know that at the time. The second thing was I met this really nice boy at work. <laughs> but the only thing wrong with him, he was perfect in every way, except he went to church was the most bizarre thing. I argued with him for a year. I read books to try to, to argue <laughs> this whole religion thing. And eventually I ran out of arguments and, and decided to give God a try. <laughs> and I married the guy. <laughs> well, he ticked all the boxes and then the bonus was that he was a person of faith. Of course, life is more complicated than that kind of rom-com story. He actually dumped me and he went off traveling and that ultimately was a good thing because I had to find my faith on my own, not yeah. kind of attached to him. But when we met again, it was like I was a new person and it was a new bond. And That's fantastic. <laughs> so you have been married and you've got two sons. Yep. And amongst all the busyness of being a parent and a wife, you've managed to have a significant and uh, very exciting professional career. Tell us a little bit about that. Mm. I think um, growing up in the family I did, I was very intentional about my parenting. I'm very lucky my husband works in the computer industry, which, you know, kept us in food and shelter very nicely. And he supported me in staying home with our kids and then working part-time while the kids were young. I used to teach scripture in primary school and, and in high school, just voluntarily while my kids were there, which was a really great experience because I got to know all the kids that my kids went to school with mm -hmm. and then I got to know some of the, the mums and the teachers and it was a great time. But out of that, I ended up working for the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT as a, a children and families consultant. It was at a time when there was a real shift in churches from just sending kids to Sunday school for, you know, half an hour on a Sunday would, would be enough for them to know about faith in the world. Mm -hmm to actually know we need to be supporting parents to be raising kids who have a spiritual life, who have a broader understanding of relationships in the world. And Yeah, where well, you're speaking, focus on the family's language. That's what we're I all know, about, how families thrive in Christ in every aspect of their lives. Which is where I first came across focus on the family, actually, <laughs> back yeah. in those days. And so what else have you been doing since you, you worked at the Baptist Association? It was after that that I took a bit of a, a tangent and did the Masters of Peace and Conflict Studies. Um, I really love studying. I'm a great student. And my dad lived overseas most of my life. So I got to go and visit him in a number of different developing countries and see different cultures, but also see that not everyone lives the privileged life that we do here in Australia. Mm. Yeah. And so I had this awareness of you know, different cultures and social justice issues, I guess. Yeah. Um, and when I did the Masters of Peace and Conflict, I can save you two years of research and reading and writing essays. Everything boiled down to 
the theories are the same, whether we're talking interpersonal conflict or international conflict, because the people creating international conflict are still people. Yeah. But it really seemed to me that the people studying and thinking about peace and conflict are thinking on a more international level. But I... I believe in prevention rather than cure. So coming straight out of the Baptist Association, thinking about children and families into that environment, I couldn't help but think actually our relational lives, our communication ability, everything is formed so importantly and crucially and deeply when we're very young. Mm. So if we can really support young families to be building safe, rich, loving environment then eventually we won't have to worry so much about conflict in the world there's an amazing piece of research i heard recently you've heard about the first thousand days research yeah Yeah. um so the netherlands took this very seriously 20 odd years ago when this research first came out and they decided to really start supporting young families you know from conception to the first few years because those years are so crucial for brain development yeah and 20 years later, this psychologist is reporting that in the Netherlands, they're having to close jails because they don't have enough criminals to put in them. That is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. You're saying about prevention is better than the cure, and I agree wholeheartedly. But it starts with that having that stable family life that where everyone feels heard, everyone feels valued, everyone feels like they've got a voice, which has then stemmed that your advocacy, whether it's here in our great nation of Australia, but even internationally, families to make sure that we have those healthy foundations. But it's easier said than done. You know, you can say, oh, yeah, we should all have stable. And everyone knows that. But- If we're fast-forwarding in our culture today here in Australia, what are the things that parents are worrying about? What are the things that they're thinking about that can distract them from having that stable, healthy family foundation? (laughs) So many things. We're living in a very complex society now with change at a rate of knots that none of us can really keep up with at all. So... I've done some research into studies that look at what sort of things are parents worried about. And I did my own survey, which blew out to be massive when I was just thinking about writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so the top sort of three things that parents are worried about are the safety of their children, mm-hmm. about their happiness, and about bullying. So Really? Bullying was in the top three? Yeah. Technology um, didn't come into that? Or technology was through cyberbullying? So it's... It's complicated, right, because they're all intertwined. So another Relationships Australia study pulled that apart a little bit more. So it's safety and health for kids. It's social media comes into it, of course. And social media affects happiness. As you said, cyberbullying affects bullying as well. Um, The thing that really got me, though, was that there were kind of two broad aspects to the things parents worry about. One was relational things. So, you know, bullying and happiness fall into those. And I think that we often mistake what happiness is or what makes kids happy. And the other one is, yeah, technology. There's a big issue around technology. And, yeah, the research coming out about social media 
on one level looks very scary, but I've seen some more nuanced research that says it can be good and it can be bad. It's like yeah. everything, you know, it's the way- Everything's we- in moderation. We have to control it yeah. rather than controlling us. And exactly. uh, it's so important for parents and we at Focus are trying to educate as many parents on a variety of issues, particularly on the area of technology and how we can do that. And we're more than happy to be of service to you listening. And if you want some advice, please contact us here at Focus on the Family Australia. We heard what is worrying parents. Is it the same for kids? What are the kids worrying about? Mm. I will just add one more thing that parents worried about, and that was how to talk to their children. Oh, really? blew me away. Blew me away. I would have thought that's 101. Um, What kids are worried about is surprising in that they worry about bigger things than we think. They're worried about war. They're worried about climate change. They're worried about big things happening in the world that we often don't talk to them about so they don't know how to think about them or how to respond to them. One of the things that really worries me is that if we're watching the news all the time, we know every bad thing that happens in the world, but our brains are not built to manage that We've still got brains that are evolved for living in a village. For most of human history, we've lived in small villages, 100, yeah. 150 people. So Mrs. Jones's house burns down. I can physically go and help. I can yeah. go and respond to that. I can go and bake her a cake. I can give her some clothes. I can help fix her roof or whatever it is. But kids today know every problem in the world. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting. It's scary. And it ultimately it makes you feel guilty it makes you feel depressed all of these are unpleasant emotions yeah which i just want to hide from i need to numb myself from them i need to be distracted yeah. i just want to watch netflix <laughs> right yes yeah so i think that kids are being affected by this as much as adults but i don't think we realize that so the problem with technology then is it's number one distractor yeah Today's guest is Susie Lee, award-winning author who wrote Raising Kids Who Care with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family, Australia. The word for today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Welcome back. I'm Brett Ryan for Focus on the Family Australia, and I'm speaking to author Susie Lee. It's interesting that you said parents, a high priority was how to talk to their kids about things and the kids wanting to have these conversations. So they're both wanting the same thing. And I love it here on his statement is raising kids who care is dedicated to helping change the world through families, deepening their connections through great conversations. So let's open this up and talk about how we can have kids who care and how to have these great conversations. Where do we start? (laughs) I told you I'd save you time with a master's degree in peace and conflict studies. The one thing that we have to resolve conflict, and in fact that has made us so successful as a species, is that we're really good at communication and cooperation. Communication is crucial for everything. So having a conversation 
is the most important thing we can do. It's it's a basic building block. And I guess I'm worried that in families we can get so busy and distracted by all the busyness of life, like it's busy having kids, right, that we can forget the big important but not urgent things in the light of the urgent but not necessarily as important things. I've also heard that families are concerned about these issues, but they don't know how to address them. So what I've tried to do is build, and I've got 40 conversations, and build the conversations with enough stimulating information to get the family started, and then some questions to get them talking, and hopefully just in a, a short format, so that this can be something that they can easily pick up, they can take on holidays, they can do at the dinner table or in the car to just make sure that that we don't forget to talk about the things that matter. Now, you, you said, and it's 40 conversations, but the unique distinctive is that it's not driven by parents, it's rather driven by the children. Why yeah. did you decide that was a good way of doing it? <laughs> um, I've been blown away when I've taught children by how smart they are, by how wise they are. They're less changed by consumerism and the stress of life than we are. I believe that we start being caring, generous, amazing people. Kids are way more creative than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, our creativity totally drops off with age. Yep. But really, I'm trying to avoid parents just lecturing to kids because that's the fastest turn off. Yeah. There is. I love that. I mean, I saw a line and, I, and I'll be using it in, in a presentation coming up. We need to listen more, lecture less. And I think that encapsulates yeah. how to have those great conversations is we have to keep our lips closed and be actively listening. Yeah, we have two ears and one mouth. We should use them proportionally. Yeah. But also there's science about what makes a good conversation. So there are two things I'd say that are really important about a good conversation, whether we're talking at work or in families. In fact, some of the research I looked at was in work. And for many of these things, I've just taken research that's in the world and made it accessible for families. Mm -hmm. So we want conversations that are positive, not negative. Conversations that are adding value, being creative rather than pulling down or being critical. So our whole education system is built to make us critical thinkers. So we, you know, what are the pros and cons? How, you know, what's wrong with this? How, you know, pulling it all apart. So we've lost some of our ability to be creative because of that. But kids still have yeah. that. Now in the in the time of Google, we need creativity more than we need information, right? So we want to be having conversations that are thinking about how can we build something together. You know, people may have been in a work situation where they've collaborated and together, you know, they've been able to create something that they couldn't have thought of on their own. We want to do that in our conversations with our kids. We want to hear from everyone, value everyone, say, oh, that was a really great idea. Can you expand on that? So being positive in our conversations And the second thing is being curious in our conversations. Our conversations should be about questions. Oh, tell me more. Oh, why did you think like that? Oh, what could we do about that? You know, trying to ask questions rather than tell stuff. Yeah. 
Actually, there'll be a number of parents right now saying, I want to do that, but I haven't had a good foundation. I've been a lecturer. I don't listen to my kids. I want to start because I want to be able to have those conversations. What would you say to that parent right now who goes, I think I've blown it. I just don't connect with my kids. My kids don't want to listen to me. I can't open up those conversations that I know I need to do. What would you say to them? Honestly, I would say, say exactly that to your kids. Kids, I'm so sorry. I think I've blown it. I think I've spent too long lecturing and I haven't realised that I'm bringing that into the home as well. Could we start again? I'd really like to hear what you think about things. I've just found out that actually kids are way more creative than adults. I need some creativity in my life. Could you help me with that? Yeah. And maybe just being humble enough to admit that we don't have it all together and let's give everyone a pressure valve release. No one has got it all together. We're all on this journey called parenting and it's uh, it's really, really tough. But even if you're not a parent, we need to learn these curious skills, listening skills, being inquisitive. It could help all relationships, whether it's our work colleagues, whether it's in, in our family and friends, whether it's in our church or in our sporting groups or wherever it may be, we can all do with better listening skills and being more attentive to just asking those right questions at a right time. And uh, we know that technology gets in the way, but a good conversation will <laughs> is far, far greater and far richer. Absolutely. So what else do we need to do? What else do we need to do to have these great conversations? We need to be intentional. I think that's something that I, I took away from my childhood and that has served me really well. It can be awkward saying, kids, we're going to sit down. I got my brother to try out one of the conversations and he had to bribe his teenage kids <laughs> to have the conversation. <laughs> Whatever it works. Whatever exactly, it works. To get them off their screens. They ended up having a two-hour conversation. My brother let the kids decide what conversation they would have. In the book, they chose one on climate change. Climate justice is what I call it. The kids really cared about it, were really worried about it, but they had no idea that their parents cared about it at all because they'd never had the conversation. The danger of not having these important conversations is the kids start thinking, oh, that isn't something we talk about at home. Do we want them talking to us about the big issues of the day or do we want them finding out randomly on the internet or in the playground? When yeah. this little family had their two-hour conversation, they created mutual admiration for each other because they didn't realise yeah. how invested they all were and they've gone out and bought a hybrid car now. Oh, I've right. changed the world so already. Being very proactive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, it comes from a healthy conversation and our kids want to have that and we at Focus are always talking about it's never too early to talk to your kids about the big issues, mm -hmm. those uncomfortable conversations, but we need to be better equipped and be more confident. But it may simply be saying, I don't have all the answers. Let's do some research together to come up with a solution. And that may be the best place to go because we don't have to have all the answers, but we have to be willing to listen to what our kids have to say. And you know what? It will amaze you. It will blow you away. I think as parents, they're our babies, right? <laughs> my babies are 26 and 24. They're still my babies. And so I think our kids are a developmental stage or two ahead of what we think they are. And we won't yeah. know that unless we talk to them and open ourselves up to actually learn from them as well. Yeah. Now, there'll be people listening saying, well, talking about those big issues, what about faith? 
is this book helpful to have those faith conversations? And then is the book helpful for people who may not even have a faith, but to even want to stimulate some healthy conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All families are the same, really. I had a friend who is not a person of faith, but she's one of my dearest people in the world. And in fact, if I was ever going to preach a sermon, I would often talk to her about it first. And she had very good friends of hers who tragically lost a teenage daughter to cancer. And she saw that their family friends managed that terrible difficulty being really helped by their faith. She really noticed that the strong faith that the parents and the kids had helped them through that difficult time. And she said to me, what am I giving to my kids? How am I helping prepare my kids for not if but when the bad stuff happens in their life? Mm. And that really stuck with me. Um, I think whether people go to church or not, whether they, you know, whatever faith we have, we are spiritual beings in the broad sense of the word spiritual. When I think spiritual, I think of generosity and gratitude and compassion and patience and kindness and goodness and, you know, all of these things. And I think as parents, it's our job to nurture that part of our children as well. Um, I think past generations have thought, oh, we're here on this planet in order to develop our character, to become more honest, more helpful people in the world. And I think maybe in our current culture, we've lost a bit of that sense. In our individualism, in our consumerism, it's it's all about me and I deserve the best. And, and I think that does not serve our children well. You know, mm. we all want our kids to be happy, but happiness has been shown to come from being grateful, from being compassionate, from caring for others rather than caring about ourselves. And yet that isn't what our culture is telling us. In fact, studies on the effect of our wealth on us say that our wealth is making us less generous, less compassionate, less ethical and more entitled. And it seems to me these are counter to developing a good spiritual life. So I've written a book that is for anybody You know, I mentioned my faith in there because it was part of my journey and certainly I didn't grow up in a church, but raising my kids in a church community has been really wonderful. I think everybody needs community. We're born hardwired to connect. We're supposed to be in community in a village. I guess my church is my village. You know, the girl I was (laughs) growing up, if I hadn't had that, I guess I've written this book for that girl that really cares about, you know, I cares about family and cares about parenting, but really wasn't sure and wasn't willing to just leave it to the role modeling of my parents to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. To find out more about the award-winning author and book by Susie Lee, or have her share in your community, go to raisingkidswhocare.info. That's raisingkidswhocare.info. Our website and our Family Cast platform has numerous articles and videos on conflict and communication. Go to families.org.au. I'm Brett Ryan and we look forward to you tuning in again for part two of our conversation with Susie Lee right here on Focus on the Family Australia. Thanks.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.